0: Yo, fam. Hey, before we get into episode three, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Would you go to whatever platform you listen to this podcast on and give us a rating and review? Some of our um, listeners have said that they're having a hard time figuring out how to give a rating or review, but it's for sure applicable on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Um, Also, if you find uh, value in this episode and think, Uh, someone would benefit from it. Why don't you share it, take a screenshot and share it on on Facebook or share it with a friend, forward it to them. Uh, I'd love for you to uh, get the word out. I love you. Yo fam. So this is episode three uh, where we're talking about emotional sobriety. We're talking about the 14 traits in, uh, adult children, uh, ACA. And, uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about trait two and three. The last episode, if you haven't listened to the previous two, you might want to go back and listen to the previous two. But, uh, the last episode we talked about being isolated, afraid of people and authority figures. Um, uh, one of the things that I identify the most with is being a, being afraid of authority figures and also becoming an authority figure in areas that i'm uncomfortable with and one of the notes that i didn't read on the last uh, episode was um talking about shame and abandonment i use shame and abandonment with when i parent i'll say do this or i will abandon you in time out or in the other room um as a kid i didn't have the wherewithal to understand my parents daily life and stresses When they were mad or short-tempered, or even just simply stressed out, I took it um, personally, and I always thought, "What did I do wrong? Why are they mad?" I thought they—I thought I was the reason um, that they were upset. And and being an adult in a in a family, uh, having a family now, dude, all the life stresses that come with work and finances and and marriage and. Uh, just, just overall life stresses, and having that come out sideways in parenting, and then, and then, uh, having your children take that on because they think, you know, they feel guilty because they think they did something wrong. Man, that's a tough one. All right, so, so today we're going to talk about traits two and three. Trait two is we become approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. Trait three. We are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. Oh boy, this is going to be a good one. Um, I'm always looking for affirmation. I can't remember the, uh, maybe it was the love languages, if you've ever heard of the five love languages. And when I took that thing, boy, I was as far extroverted as you can pop. maybe I'm, maybe I'm mixing two, but my love, my number one love language was affirmation and um, which is actually quite insidious, insidious because on the surface, uh, having a love language of affirmation is great, but when you can't receive the affirmation, in other words, you don't believe the affirmation, or you're looking for affirmation, it's not enough, and really it's a trick. Um, boy, that's a that's a tough one. The other thing is I took a personality profile, and I, I scored as extremely extroverted as you can possibly get. And so... I thrive around groups and part of it, what I'm coming to understand is, um, uh, you know, this is some of its personality, but some of it is I've overdone it because I'm seek, I'm an approval seeker. I'm just looking for people to say, you're great, you're nice, you're amazing. And, and, and I, I can't take it on board and I don't believe it, but yet what does that, what does that leave me? Where does that leave me? Always seeking groups and approval for people to tell me I'm I'm good enough. Um, uh, hopefully, I already read those two. We're frightened by angry people. The Trait three: We are frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. You already read that. Um, becoming a people pleaser is one of the solutions that adult children apply to avoiding being criticized, shamed, or abandoned. Adult children also attempt to disarm angry or frightening people with approval-seeking behavior. We give up some of our identity when we engage in such behavior. We believe that we will be safe and never abandoned if we are nice and if we never show anger. However, being a people pleaser comes with a heavy price. When we please others at the expense of our feelings or needs, we invariably end up hurting ourselves and our relationships. Many adult children v- vacillate between being sugary sweet and explosively angry. They often explode, feel deep remorse, d- deep sense of remorse, promise to change only to repeat the cycle. Many adult children swallow their anger only to produce a case produce cases of depression or panic attacks, whether explosively angry or routinely sorrowful, sorrowful these behaviors, are a vicious cycle that harms our relationships, boy. I tell you what, this is a this is a wild one. This is one of the things that um, that I that has been a prominent um, challenge in my life as a man is dealing with masculinity. Number one, um, and you know, I my dad when he was a young man and my uncle they used to fight a lot, right, and so they. They realized as they got older that I was stupid, so they told me not to fight a lot. They told my cousins not to fight, and, um, and quite frankly, I, didn't, I hadn't, didn't have a desire to fight. Um, I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be nice. I wanted to be the guy that everybody was, was friendly with, but what was, in, what was crazy about this is, is that I would put myself in precarious situations like trying to befriend guys that I knew liked to fight. Um, I would, I was kind of a pretty boy, you know, I liked, I proved my masculinity by dating women or getting affirmation from women. And so that often was a, was a, uh, an issue, um, at parties and, and around these, these real masculine dudes that liked to, to fight and all, you know, they didn't like pretty boys. They didn't like guys that girls, uh, liked quite a bit, but yet I would put myself in precarious situations that would get them. To punk me, right? They would they would embarrass me, and I was too scared to fight. But yet I kept putting myself in these precarious situations. Um, the other thing was uh, around masculinity is I typically put myself in like a B roll. In other words, I would befriend guys that were that were more alpha or or more like the the uh, more masculine, um, just so I could feel taken advantage of. I didn't know that then, but I know that now. Um, and I would, they, my buddies, they would like to fight a lot. And I'd always be like, man, they're so stupid. I also didn't understand how they could get so angry, angry enough to fight. Because here's the thing. When I think of fighting, you know, cuffs, right? When I think of fighting, you got to be so angry to be able to do that. And I just couldn't muster up the anger. I actually shoved the anger down. I thought anger was a bad thing. Um, and I've carried a lot of shame and guilt in, in that area of, of just the being terrified to fight, being terrified to get embarrassed by getting beat up, um, not being able to get angry, you know, like, look, you know, what's you know, what's even funnier about this is my favorite sport is the UFC mixed martial arts. I love fighting. And yet, uh, it's one of the things that I'm most terrible, uh, uh terrified about, so, That'd be interesting to dig into that, but but maybe, I don't know if you can identify with that, but um, this overwhelming sense to be nice, that anger was a bad thing. Here's the other interesting thing about anger is usually the people that we explode with are the people closest to us. And that's why oftentimes in a lot of the couples meetings that I do um, or in recovery meetings that I talk about, I don't have a problem being nice and practicing principles with people in the meetings, with people at work, with my acquaintance circle, with people around me. I do not have any problem being nice there. Where I have the problem is at home behind closed doors because I bring all this resentment, all these defects just you know, play around. I'll I'll do things out of you know, what I would say either obligation or because I'm uh, so nice and and helpful, but yet I'll have this deep seated stewing resentment Well, I will just, you know, explode and act out. Um, I'll feel deep remorse because of it, but that's the area that I struggle the most is at home. Um, uh, One of the notes that I have down here says, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. And then boom, I'm freaking over the top annoyed. And then I feel super guilty after it. Um, going back to this idea of emotional sobriety, you know, uh, some people say, what's the difference between a drunk asshole and a sober asshole? Uh, well, technically nothing because they're both assholes, but at least the drunk has something to blame it on. And that's why emotional sobriety is so important. I think another thing I want to point out about emotional sobriety is Bill W wrote a, an article in the grapevine. He had 20 something years sober, writing a letter to another guy with multiple years sober. And he says, um, He says emotional sobriety has become his biggest struggle. The solution is to get back into the roots, get back into the steps, get back into the relationship with your higher power. But it's interesting that once the drugs and alcohol or maybe that that addictive behavior or maybe some of the other behaviors are long gone. It's the emotional sobriety that is the biggest challenge uh, for a lot of people. Uh, Next paragraph, it says, at the core, people pleasing is dishonest and creates the wrong foundation uh, for a meaningful relationship that most adult children really want deep down inside. And boy, I tell you what, that hits me between the eyes because I am a people pleaser. There is, I mean, Wayne Dyer talks about embracing paradoxes um, that were not just good and were not just bad, were actually both. That the the simple fact is, bad only exists because good exists. Good only exists because bad exists. Um, and the you know, within my personality and my behavior, there is people pleasing, and there's also a part of my personality that's beneficial, which is why I like to teach, train, and coach. Which is why I like to do these type things or be in some sort of sales or marketing roles. The answer is typically both and the way that you identify let me rephrase the way i've been able to identify if i'm people pleasing or not is constant contact with the higher power doing being diligent with well, my prayer meditation journaling being diligent talking to my support group these are non-biased third parties that prescribe to a similar Training and teaching, like the 12 steps, are prescribed to similar principles that I can go to and rely on. And the reason I say non biased third parties is because they don't benefit, uh, with whatever from whatever decision I'm making. In other words, if I'm asking my mother advice in one way, shape, or form, she's going to be affected by that decision, whether I Decide to get out of my marriage or not get out of my marriage. Decide to quit my, uh, how I handle my sister, my sister. If I'm asking my mom about how to handle my sister, she has a bias, right? She's going to be affected if I choose to, you know, not talk to my sister anymore. These are just examples that, 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 that I pulled out of the air versus if I ask a sponsor, if I ask a mentor, someone that we agree on these spiritual principles, they just happen to be rooted in the 12 steps for me, but he doesn't have any benefit whether I, you know, disown my sister or not. He doesn't have any benefit uh, if I, you know, choose to do something nice for my for my mother or what I do it at home. Um, so I'm just a big proponent of that, and that is how I have the best opportunity to rely on my assets and not a manipulative way, and not on my defects like people pleasing. Um. I like the way they talk about people pleasing as being dishonest, which means um, in AA also we're talking about being a chameleon. If you like it, I like it. Who do you want me to be so you'll like me? Who do I need to be in this situation so I can be a part of the tribe? And then I go to another tribe and I go, okay, who do you want me to be? And that's how we lose ourselves. That's how we, um, you know, whether it's from person to person and we have a small Circle, or like me, who knows, you know, I've got a pretty big circle. It's, you know, this idea of by being a chameleon, we lose who we are. And that's one thing that my sponsor, I do remember my sponsor really trying to impress upon me is the secret and the goal to a balanced recovery is the ability to be the same person behind closed doors as you are out in public. And that's, um, that's one thing that is, that is a a big goal for me. Um, Let's see. Next paragraph. Many adult children constantly survey their uh, survey their homes or relationships looking for situations that could lead to shame or some other per- public act of criticism. In addition to, f- to fearing shame and abandonment, our hypervigilance is intensified by what many therapists call post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is most often associated with combat veterans or survivors survivors of traumatic events, such as a car wreck or catastrophic event. However, adult children suffer from PTSD as well. A PTSD event or events produce a high state of threat or danger that experts believe will change the body's chemi- chemistry. Long after the threat of path has passed, the PTSD sufferer remains on alert to ward off future events and could trigger the fear of the previous fearful event. Now, this is an interesting one. Let me read one of the notes that I got. There is obviously value in trying to in trying new things, both failure and success. I wonder if getting myself uh, up to fail is that I told you you couldn't do it type strategy. I've got a lot of struggle with failure or. My, the other thing is, it's probably a little bit deeper than that, which is attempting things that aren't in line with what I want to do. So I'm guaranteed to fail just so I can beat myself up and tell, tell myself, I know, I know you're, uh, I knew you were a piece of crap or I knew you couldn't do it. Um, That's an interesting one. I don't feel worthy enough to feel angry or annoyed. So I swallow it. Uh, and then I snapped. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. But this is the, here's something that's quite interesting when it comes to PTSD and we talk about trauma. So many people associate PTSD with first responders, militaries, people that have been in traumatic events. But something that talk about trauma, what we call little t trauma in the clinical uh, field, which is something like, let's say a teacher embarrasses you in the front of the class for your handwriting or because you couldn't complete a math problem. Um, or someone says, hey, your forehead looks funny. Um, and from then on out, long into, your, uh, long into your adulthood, you remember you're insecure about your handwriting or you're self-conscious about your forehead. That is also trauma. Um, we never know what is going to quote-unquote traumatize us. And I don't necessarily feel like parents should handle their kids with kid gloves because we've also... Um, we've also overcompensated the other way as parents is over pacifying and over, uh, praising our kids. And it's having a similar but equal effect on the other side of, 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 uh, either not praising or being critical. But these are, this is an interesting one. I, I would encourage you when I first started reading this stuff and it's talked about traumatic childhood, I had a really hard time identifying with traumatic childhood because I don't think I had a traumatic childhood. I don't have the big T trauma. I wasn't in the military. I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't what you would consider having the big T trauma with our uh, child abuse or anything like that. But I'm sure there's plenty of little T trauma that that I that I uh, that caused me to that I took on. To make myself feel less than, not good enough, you know, fearful, shame, and guilt, um, and I blame my parents for it. So that's trait. Uh, that's trait uh, two and three. We're gonna we're gonna cover uh, traits four, nine, and thirteen on the next episode. Yo, if you know somebody that would benefit from hearing this series, this is gonna be a, a multi-part series covering the fourteen traits of the adult child, and I'd I'd love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, uh, don't forget to like, and subscribe wherever you hear your, uh, wherever you listen to this podcast and share this video with someone holler at your boy. I love you. Hey, thanks for hanging around at the end of the episode. If you like what we're laying down here, if you like the podcast, been listening to uh, listening to it for a while, we actually have a Facebook community. It's called the High Cost of Anonymity Podcast Facebook Group. It's totally public, and the point is to join the movement of normalizing mental health and addiction, counseling therapy and support groups like Mental Health Support and AA and NA, stuff like that, so... If you want to support our uh, cause, if you want to join and be a part of the community and conversation, check us out on Facebook, the High Cost of Anonymity Facebook community page. Love you.